The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Hey everybody, welcome. Welcome this evening. Thank you guys for coming. Um, welcome to Park Church. Um, a couple announcements as we get started, as you guys start making your way in. Um, two things by way of logistics. Um, if you would be fine scooting forward, we'd love for you guys to kind of be closer to the front. Um, secondly, if you're in here and you're married, um, you are absolutely welcome to be here. Um, so if you're in here and you're married, you're welcome to be here. Um, but the marriage seminar, so the seminar that's designed for uh, married folks is in the basement right now. Um, if you're engaged and you're here and you're trying to be um, where the premarital counseling kind of process begins, um, that's actually upstairs, up the balcony, uh, into uh, the room over here above our gallery. Um, so if you're supposed to be in either of those places, um, I'd invite you to go there. Again, you're welcome to be here. Um, we're thankful that you all would come and join us tonight as we consider again um, the relationship between the gospel and the reign of God, and, and as we think particularly tonight about singleness. Um, so I'm thankful that you guys would be here. Um, tonight we have the privilege of hearing from Lori Wilbert. Um, Lori is our newest staff member at Park Church. She moved out here with her husband, Nate, um, at the beginning of July. Um, They're actually married um, at the end of June. And so uh, we've talked a lot with Lori. Um, Lori has, uh, she, they were both covenant members at the Village Church in Dallas, Texas for quite a while. Um, both served very, very faithfully um, at the Village Church, um, ministering to singles, um, ministering to those who are married, ministering to people in the midst of difficult marriages, and, and both of them have faithfully um, laid down their lives for the good of the people of God, and they've seen that as their call, and we're really thankful for them and the gift that they are to Park Church. Um, Lori, in particular, um, is uh, has written a lot and ministered a lot and discipled a lot of people through singleness. Um, she uh, was single for um, the past 34 years, and then got married. Um, and so we talked about that. Uh, is it is it okay for Lori to talk on singleness or has she turned in her singleness card? And, and she'll talk a little bit about that tonight. But she has been a gift to the church. Um, not just uh, her church in Dallas, um, but a gift to the church. She's written a lot for the Gospel Coalition, um, for Christianity Today, and other publications about singleness. It's a passion that's near and dear to her heart. And we're glad that she's here. She's a gift to our church. So would you welcome Lori as she comes? Y'all, am I on? Yep, cool. Glad to be here. I haven't actually met most of you guys at this point, and I hope someday, I hope I'll be on staff here for a while and I get to meet most of you guys at some point. Um, how many of you all are 18 to 24? Raise your hand. How many of y'all are like 24 to 30? Oh, wow, lots of you guys. And how many of you guys are 30 to 35? None of you guys. How about 35 and up? Couple of you guys. Cool. Well, um, today I'm going to talk, like Gary said, I'm going to be talking about singleness, and it's actually one of my favorite topics. Um, I realize the irony of a married person standing up here talking to you about singleness is kind of lame. Um, about, I think it was this spring, maybe it was last fall, I wrote an article for Christianity Today called Why Singles Belong in Church Leadership because I was sick and tired of hearing about married pastors who had married their childhood sweethearts thinking that they had the corner on the market on advice to singles. I was like, come on, guys. We need more singles in leadership. So um, 
When we talked about doing this seminar, and I knew I'd be talking about singleness, I'd been married a grand total of four weeks. And so I figured, I don't have to hand in my singleness card yet, do I? Um, but it's been, it's been good. Marriage has been fun. It's been good. I'm excited that you'll get to hear from Nate tonight. He is, I say this with no bias whatsoever, the best man I know. So I'm really grateful to be married to him. Um, for the past five years, singleness has been the subject that I've been asked to write and speak about more than anything, almost to the point where I was like, I am more than my singleness. Um, but it's something that I'm really just, I love. I'm passionate about the season of life. I'm passionate about, um, about you guys and utilizing your singleness in a way that is glorifying to the Lord. Um, I didn't always love my singleness, though. I just loved singleness. I was like, it's a good idea. I just don't love it for me. It's really hard. Um, so today I'm going to talk to you about singleness, even though Brian said last night uh, he doesn't like that word. I don't know what other word to use, like he said, so we're going to use the word singleness. Um, and I'm going to tell you the story about a kitchen table. Before I tell you that, though, I want to tell you where I was when that kitchen table came into my life. Uh, when I hit the age of 30, I'm 34, 34, 34 now. When I hit the age of 30, and I was watching my biological clock tick, and I was watching all of my friends get married and have babies, I really started to realize I might not ever be a mother. I might not ever have the chance to like birth children and raise them and disciple them in the Lord. And so I just began to look around me and decide, I don't want to waste this season of my life, and there are plenty of people who need mothering. And so one of those people was a 14-year-old girl who I'd known. Well, she was 14 when I met her. Her, her parents had just kind of imploded their family. Her mom left. She kind of raised herself for a couple of years. Just, total, um, just a total mess. So I brought her into to my home. I lived in Dallas. She was from New York, where I'm from. And uh, it, it felt like probably... That's probably not the child I would have chosen to raise. Like, it was just hard. And I felt like a single parent. Um, I, I think I have more respect for single parents than ever before after walking through that season because it was just very, very difficult, very challenging. And alongside that journey, I was going through another journey. And that journey was, it was just the longing for marriage that I had. Um, so I was, I was not going to just waste my singleness and not parent and not have someone to kind of raise up and disciple, but I also just longed for marriage. I longed for companionship. Um, I felt sure that the best way to use my singleness was in service to the local church, um, and I was absolutely certain that if God did have marriage for me, he would bring me a partner through the local church, and I know that's wildly unpopular. Um, all my friends were using online dating. They were using eHarmony and Match.com, and God forbid some of them were using Tinder, some of you are using Tinder. Um, but I refuse to use it. I was like, if God has a spouse for me, I want to believe that he can bring me that spouse within the service of the local church. Um, and it felt foolish in a lot of ways, even though, like Gary said, I was at the village, and the village is known for attracting, like, smart, theologically robust, godly men. It's a dating wasteland. Like, it's just, are any of you guys from the village? A couple of you guys are from the village. Would you say Yes. Yes. It's a, it feels like a dating wasteland. Like the amount of people, just, there's a, a study just came out actually that there's an astronomical amount of female, single females in the world today as opposed to single males. So maybe that was the, the dating wasteland. wasteland. Um, 
It just felt like, is this ever going to happen for me? So here I was trying to single parent this rebellious, angsty, angry at God, angry at the church girl. And I was also just lonely and hungering for a partner in this. Um, Have you guys ever felt like that? Just felt lonely. Just felt like, what am I doing? I feel like I'm like putting my hand to the plow. I'm doing what I can do in this season, and I just feel like I keep getting thwarted. You're here for for a few reasons today. There are a couple of you guys in here. You're single. You love it. You're trying to figure out if there's a way you can justify being single forever. You probably have a hashtag like single forever t-shirt or something, bumper sticker or something. You're like, this is great. I can go hiking and go camping all the time. This is, this is the life. Um, number two, you're single and you hate it. You're trying to figure out something wrong with you or something wrong with everyone else. Three, you've made peace with it. Um, but you long for marriage and you long to do it in a healthy way. Number four, you're married and you want to know better how to minister to singles. Number five, you're a creeper who just wanted to see what sort of things a newlywed could offer the single crowd. So let's pray. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Father, thank you for being our father. Some of us in this room haven't been parented very well or we've been parented in marriages that have fallen apart. There's a lot of fear of marriage. There's a lot of fear of what it means to be a father or a mother. And um, So Father, just thank you for being our father, someone that we can look to and we can look at these earthly shadows of what's happening around us and we can know that it's a mere shadow. There's no substance to it. Um, it's a shadow of who you are. So tonight, I'm just grateful for how you parent us, how you discipline us, how you love us, how you have a plan for us, and how we are held tightly in your sovereign plan. You're not surprised by not one person in this room. Are you surprised by their singleness? You're not scrambling around trying to fix or manage or wonder or guess. God, you don't need to have any DTRs. You know what the relationship is between you and us. And I thank you for that. I pray tonight we would walk away with just a greater vision of you. We would see you better. We would know you better. We would love you more. In your name we pray. Amen. For this quintessential... Um, for this talk on singleness, we're going to turn to a passage on marriage. We're going to go to Ephesians 5. And I hope you guys turn there. Because it's a great passage. I think it's the greatest passage on singleness there is. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. 
He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are all members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So this is a passage about marriage, true, but oftentimes we hear it preached to or referred to as a roadmap to healthy marriages. So uh, start here, respect, love, submit, wash with the water of the word, and then you will look like Christ and the bride. But Paul isn't saying that. He's saying this is who Christ is. Christ is the head of the church. He loves the church. He sanctifies her. He gave himself up for her. He cleanses her by the washing of water with the word, and he will present her to himself, holy clean, like Brian talked about last night, holy clean. He loves and nourishes the church. And Paul is also saying, this is who the church is, the bride of Christ. She submits to Christ. She needs a savior. She is loved. She is sacrificed for. She is sanctified. She's brought through painful circumstances to become more like Christ. She is cleansed by the word of God and how it washes her. She's spotted and wrinkled and blemished until Christ presents her holy. She is cherished and nourished because she is his. That's what this passage is saying. Paul ends the passage saying, I love this, this is a great mystery. Cool. What are we supposed to do with that? This is a mystery. How are we supposed to understand it? He's saying we don't completely get this. We will never completely get this. It's a beautiful truth. Marriage is a beautiful truth, but it's a mere shadow, like I was praying. It's a mere shadow of the real thing. We've all heard the platitudes, a husband can't be everything to you, a wife won't complete you, marriage won't fulfill you. But Paul is actually saying marriage does fulfill you. He's saying it will fulfill you, but not the marriage you think it is. I know this because I've been married for nine whole weeks and I'm kind of an expert on it. I'm not. Right? No. (laughs) But there's an angst in singleness that marriage does fulfill. And there's a waiting in singleness that marriage does fulfill. It ceases when you're in marriage. There are unique challenges and difficult things in the union between a man and a woman. But the pit in your stomach, will it ever happen for me? Am I ever going to get to have sex within the bounds of marriage? That's not there in marriage. It's just not. There's a longing that we experience in singleness that dissipates in some ways once you become one with someone. So marriage is absolutely meant to fulfill you, but not the marriage you think it is. From Genesis to Revelation, God is weaving this story. Um, I think Andrew a couple weeks ago quoted the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, I think it's the premier theological text, and everybody ought to have it in your... Guys, that was a joke. Do you guys know what the Storybook Bible is? It's a kid's book. It's over there on the bottom shelf. You should all go look at it because it's beautiful, but it's not the premier theological text. Um, Sally Lloyd-Jones in the book says, it's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful fairy tale that has come true in real life. And that might be cheesy, but it's true. That's the story that God is weaving from, the, from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of the word to the end of it. The story that Paul is calling a mystery is a story about a billion and billions and billions of singles waiting for marriage. 
even the married ones. It's a story that you who are walking in aching celibacy, you understand it. You who are turning your eyes from pornography, you understand that weight. You who feels the aching loneliness of being rejected time and time and time again, you get it. You understand the angst of being a bride whose groom has not yet come to take her away. You get it. You get it in a way that married folks don't get it. Sorry for the bride comparison, guys. But even you with your beard. I married my husband for his beard. It's a glorious specimen. Someone called it the other day. We were in a restaurant. Someone was like, it's majestic. (laughs) He said it was a majestic beard. Um, But my husband is a bride. He's just as much the bride of Christ as any of you women are. It's a beautiful thing, but it doesn't feel beautiful, right? It feels like, no, this isn't beautiful. The singleness is not beautiful. It does not feel beautiful to feel unwanted and to feel alone and to feel rejected. It doesn't feel beautiful. Has anyone ever fasted? A couple of you guys? Come on. We need to restore the beautiful art of fasting. I actually don't fast that much anymore. I used to fast a lot more. Babe, we need to fast more. I feel like it's a discipline more of us need to practice, though. And um, the reason why is not to abstain just from something for abstention's sake. That's not why we fast. The Pharisees tried to trap Jesus at one point. This is great. I love all the times the Pharisees are like, they like scheme to try to trap Jesus into things. Um, And at one point they're like, why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus said, why would they fast? The bridegroom is with them. There's going to be plenty of time for them to fast. Right now, let's eat, let's drink, let's be merry. The time will come for them to fast, but that time is right now. And what Jesus was saying that was within marriage, when that bride and that groom come together, there's a joyful settledness. There's an eating and drinking that happens inside of marriage that doesn't happen outside of it. So you're all fasting. How many of you guys are fasting? All of you. We're turning our insides out. With that churning, our stomach is growling for good gift of food. You think you're longing for sex. You think you're longing for companionship. What you're really longing for is marriage with the king. Is anyone's stomach growling today, angsty for the food of marriage? Mine was for a really long time. I wanted the blessing that God had set apart for those in a union between a man and a, and a woman. I wanted that blessing. I didn't have it. I was fasting. My stomach was growling. I was hungry. I would hear my stomach growling. I'd feel it. I would want to eat. I would satiate it. I'd satiate it with pseudo-relationships, text message conversations that made me feel like someone cared about me. Endless hangouts that go nowhere. You want to hang out and get coffee? What does that even mean? (laughs) Nate and I will tell you a story later. (laughs) DTRs that never happen. How many of you guys have waited for that DTR to happen? Never happens. You wait and wait and wait. Or you guys are like, maybe if I don't say anything, nothing will really happen and it'll be okay. And so there's an article in that packet I gave you called Guys and Girls and Pearls and Pigs. You should read it, all of y'all. 
It's not technically from me, it's from Tim and Kathy Keller. I think it's one of the finest pages in literature. We satiate it with pornography, both visual and mental. Pornography that happens on a computer screen isn't the only pornography that happens. Some of y'all are fantasizing about things, dreaming about things. What you're trying to do is you're trying to eat cheese curls when God's saying, I have a feast for you. We satiate it with sex outside of marriage, masturbation, obsessive Tinder swipes. I read an article the other day that a girl said she's on Tinder 20 hours a day. Another guy in the same article said he likes every... Do you, like, type swipe it this way to, like, the opposite way? None of you guys want to admit that you're on Tinder. <laughs> you're like, I don't know which way. <laughs> he, like, he swipes it the wrong way every single time, just hoping that he'll get laid. We ache for the pleasurable food of marriage because we were made to ache for the pleasurable food of marriage. You were made to ache for it. Last night, Brian talked about, you're not incomplete, you're a whole person. I'm like, no, you're incomplete. We are all incomplete. Billions and billions of people are incomplete. We're longing for something that we don't have yet. Something that you were made to long for and something that you will one day find. What we don't realize is that the food of an earthly marriage won't satisfy us. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Singles understand the gospel in this unique way because you understand the angst. Kathy Keller said that at the Gospel Coalition conference two years ago in front of like 4,000 people. She said singles understand the gospel better. I was still single at that point, and I was like, is she allowed to say that? <laughs> yes. Yes, she's allowed to say that. You single, alone, lonely, your stomach growling, you are one of God's best gifts to the local church. If Christ asks for holiness and he asks for purity, if he will one day present us without spot or blemish, then we need models of those who are living out those virtues in prolonged seasons. We need you. Those who have wrestled deeply with their prolonged chastity have experienced something of earth's groans in wait for her creator. While Nate and I were dating and engaged, we wrestled in very real and very tangible ways, some of the ways that you are wrestling right now, with those hunger pangs of longing. It was like I'm going to tell you guys a secret. We went on our first date three months to the day before we got married, so we didn't have very long to wait. Um, But our stomachs were growling so loud for the pleasurable goodness of marriage in those three months. Um, There's this incessant beeping in his car. We hate it. Still, we hate it. Um, But when you take your seatbelt off, the beep goes on and on and on. And we once referred to it as the Holy Spirit because that beep was annoying enough Uh, to keep us from sticking around in that car for too long because we wanted to have sex. That's how it is. Yes, I'm on staff here. Hi. I wanted to have sex with my fiancé before we were married because we were hungry for something that wasn't yet time for. 
These hunger pangs teach us that we're waiting for a better feast. If you're fasting, the feast isn't breakfast. And if you're a virgin, the feast isn't sex. The feast is the marriage supper of the Lamb and an eternity spent with Him. But the pangs that we feel are still real and they're felt. And some of y'all are feeling them tonight. And we need you in this church to teach married people that our groom has not yet come. To grow comfortable and complacent in, in the season of marriage, empty nesting, it's not an option. We need to have that healthy angst. We need you guys. Paul said in Romans 8, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hopes that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Not, not hope that, now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Those sufferings of the present time, those are the hunger pangs that you feel in your singleness, and they are one of God's best gifts to the church. They remind us that we're not home yet. We're not in the glory that's to be revealed. The ache your body feels, it's not an ache for an orgasm to be held or to be known. It's an ache for the redemption of your body. That's what Paul says. Every body, every person from Adam and Eve and on, we ache for redemption that sex can't give. Some of you are trying to find that redemption right now in sex. It's not giving you, right? You need it again in two days or whatever. Or you think you need it again. Nothing on this earth will bring the redemption that you long for. You look out at the landscape of your singleness and you don't see any kind of hope here. You're asking when. When is a girl going to say yes to me? When is a guy going to notice me? When am I not going to feel so alone? When am I going to not feel so ugly? When am I going to need to make more money? Or when am I going to make more money? Jesus, or Paul says to you, hope for what you do not see. And Jesus says, hope in me. Jesus said, bride, bearded brides, I'm coming for you. All that blemishedness, all the brokenness that you feel in your singleness, the half a cookie that Brian talked about last night, I'm presenting you as my bride without any of it. I started out this telling you I was going to tell you the story of a table. And I'm going to, I promised. So I'm going to. About halfway through my years spent parenting this girl, a friend of mine, um, his name is Josh, he had a bit of a soft spot in his heart for this girl. And um, he thought, he was, he's the same age as me, and he thought, well, maybe like, I could kind of be like a surrogate dad to her, and I can help her with a project. And um, what project could I help her with? I don't know. Uh, and he thought, oh, we'll make a farm table. We'll make like a big like Pinterest farm table. A huge part farm table. Um, so Josh lived with a guy from our church who had gone through a really 
painful, difficult divorce. His wife had left him for another man a few years earlier, um, and he had just gone through a time where he just watched his life kind of crumble before him. Um, And as his life was crumbling, one of the pastors from our church encouraged him in that season to just invite men into his home. And so he just began to invite men who were walking through the same sort of thing. So their wives left him or, or, or their wives had had affairs or they had had affairs and their wives had kicked them out or they were in rehabilitation of some kind, that sort of thing. So he had all these guys kind of living with us. He was leading a marriage reconciliation group at our church. And um, so he just always had kind of broken guys in his home, except he didn't have a kitchen table. So Josh was like, we'll make him a kitchen table. Um, and so, so my little girl, my little girl and my friend Josh, they spent hours in his garage. I mean, hours and hours and hours. Like she would get home at midnight. I'd be like, what are you doing over in Josh's garage until midnight? Um, making this table from scratch and it wasn't perfect. Wobbly in places and scratched and, and all sorts of things. Um, but when it was done, it was kind of a turning point in my little girl's life. Like somebody had kind of taken interest in her and just loved her and done a project with her. And it was just a really momentous thing in her life. It was also the first time I heard about a guy named Nate, the recipient of the table. The first time I had a conversation with Nate was at that table. And it was the same table that I sit at every single morning and every single day for lunch and every single evening for dinner. Because that table sits in our kitchen here in Denver. And it's a tangible reminder to me every single day that the angst that I walked in for 34 years, the waiting that I experienced, the decision to not pursue relationships outside of the church, the desire I had to marry someone who was serving our local church and who really understood the agony of feeling hungry for marriage, but who understood even more than an earthly marriage wouldn't fulfill. As satisfied as I have been at that table, Every time I eat at it, it reminds me of the pangs of hunger we feel that can never be satiated at earthly tables because we were made for a heavenly table, made for a heavenly feast. We are meant to eat and drink deeply at the table of God. We are meant to only be fulfilled by God, wedded in great mystery, we don't understand it, to the Son of God. Today you walked in here with an angst. You wish you were in the married or the premarital counseling room. I know you do. You long for what they have. And I want to tell you, we're all longing for the same thing. You just have the gift and the ache of feeling it more tangibly. For the single who walked in here loving their singleness and wanting to stay single as long as possible, your wedding is coming. You're getting married. I implore you to choose a different way in your singleness. Serve the local church. Unless you feel a definite call to celibacy. To no sex. It's a good thing to be married. The Bible says it is a good thing to find a wife. It is a good thing to pursue a wife. Men. For the single who walked in here hating their singleness, I pray you would leave here knowing a little bit more of the gift and the insight you have in this season. It's a joy It feels incomplete because it is incomplete, but it's a joy. For the single who's content but longs for marriage, serve your church. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on staff here and I know I see all the needs we have. There's a richness in serving our local church in singleness. 
I've written on singleness for various publications for years, and there are so few good resources on singleness. We need singles serving in the church. We need you. If you're one of the married ones who came in here to learn how to better serve your single brothers and sisters, thank you. You're the sort of person who made me who I am. I would not be standing here today if it was not for married brothers and sisters taking me under their wing and loving me and parenting me, allowing me to watch their marriages. So thank you. And if you're the creeper who just wanted to see what a married person could offer to singles, uh, Nate will be up here too. So you'll have two married people doing this. It's a total twofer. I don't want to leave you with, with a pithy quote or some easy resolution. Christ hasn't yet come to bring his bride home. We're broken. We're spotted. We're blemished. We're unwashed. And we are unresolved. Yes, we're saints. We are held in the hand of a sovereign God and deeply loved by him. But we feel incomplete because we are not home with our Savior. You and me and all of us, we feel it. There's no way, there's no easy resolution to that. There is a way to run fast and furiously toward the kingdom by serving in the local church. Paul says to the Corinthians, and Brian hit on this last night, there's an undistractedness with which we can run as singles. It's blinders on, like a horse-drawn carriage. They had blinders on, totally not distracted by what's happening around you. Who has time for Tinder when you're leading a gospel community? That was a plug for gospel communities. Women, open your homes. Do not use the season of life to terminate on you. Do not spend your time reading endless magazines, trying to figure out how to be more beautiful or more perfect or more attractive to a guy. You will not succeed. There are a thousand ways I feel unattractive to Nate, and he loves me so well. Those sort of things are just empty cisterns. Image God as he has made you today, women. You're beautiful. You're capable in the kingdom. You have what it takes to serve the church. Press into the incompleteness you feel, women. You know that he's bringing you home into completion. Men, open your homes. When did hospitality become a girl's thing? Open your homes. Walk deeply with other men. Invite them into those private places that you don't want anyone to see. Nate will talk more about that in a bit. Set a feast before them at your table. Give them a glimpse of the feast that awaits in the heavenly kingdom. Image God as he actively pursues his bride. There should be no need for a DTR. No secrets, no hesitations. Press into the incompleteness you feel. It is not good for you to be alone. Both men and women, allow yourself to feel the angst of being hungry. Fast once in a while. Physically fast. Unless you can't for medical reasons. Allow yourself to feel the physical hunger. And remember, I'm waiting for a better feast. Listen to and feel the monster of your hunger. Rumble and growl knowing your king is in heaven, and he made you to be only satisfied in him. Let's pray. God, I pray for the rumbling stomachs in here.
for those who are fasting from intimacy, fasting from sex, fasting from the pleasure that comes from being united with another man or woman. God, I beg that you would show them that their feast waits and that it's not an earthly feast. I pray that you would give them a healthy distaste for the food that they've been eating here on earth. That they would find that their joy is in you. That they would see that they cannot be satisfied at earthly tables. I thank you for each of them. I thank you for the gift that each of them are to Park Church. And I pray that they would see themselves as that gift. That they would know as they image you that they're an integral part of this body. God, I pray for married people here that we would value singles that we would love them, that we would not just see them as projects to get to marriage or someone to bring into our home to disciple God, but we would see them as co-laborers, just as valuable in the kingdom. Thank you for loving us, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, We are going to do a 10-minute break, and after that 10 minutes, we are going to do a Q&A, and I think Melanie is here somewhere with a mic, and so she'll be walking around. So if you guys have questions, just raise your hand or stand up whenever, when we get to that part. So go grab food, drink, whatever you all need. Fill your empty bellies. I was single for 34 years, 34 and a half years, um, and Nate went through, and I'll let him tell a little bit of his story as, as we unfold a little bit, but just went through a really difficult time of being married for 11 years and then going back to singleness. And so it just has a different perspective on what it means to be able to have sex, companionship, um, a woman in his life, to, to not, to suddenly not having those things. And so I know there's some of you in this room who probably have experienced some of those gifts outside the confines of marriage or maybe within the confines of marriage and then either went through um, some repentance or either went through a divorce and you find yourself single. And so I think Nate has some really, I think, really great insight on that. Um, and, I, and I really mean it um, when I say, I know that every person says this about the person that they marry. And I hope that someday you get to say this about the person that you marry. Nate is the best person I know. Um, I tell him all the time that I married up, and he does not like me to say that. Um, but it's true. He's the best person I know. And I pray that's your story. I beg with God that that's your story. I married the best girl I know. I married the best guy I know. It's a good story. Not everyone is the best guy in the world or the best girl in the world, but he should be the best guy or girl for you. So we're going to do a Q&A. Um, here's what I want to set the parameters for you guys nothing is really off limits. You can ask about anything you want. You can ask about pornography. You can ask about serving the church. You can ask about divorce. You can ask about masturbation. You can ask about anything you want. Except Jesus. Except Jesus. (laughs) He's also really funny. Um, But there will be some questions that you might ask that we might say, you know, I don't have an answer to that question, and I think that's, that's not a bad answer. Um, I think the church needs to be able to say, I don't know more than we actually say it. So 
if I say that to you, it's not personal to you in any way, if Nate says that to you. Um, it's really because we don't know or we haven't, um, we haven't come to a conclusion in light of Scripture in a way that's um, going to be super helpful to you. So anyway, Melanie has the mic, um, and she's going to walk around. We're going to see how this works for her to walk around, to sprint around to you guys um, as you guys ask whatever you want. If you have a question for me specifically, I'm Lori. If you have a question for Nate specifically, he's Nate. You can just address one of us. If it's just a general question, just ask it, and one of us will answer. So, Go. Ready, set, go. Raise your hand. No questions? Oh, we got a question. Good. Wow. I've never done a singleness or dating panel where there weren't any questions. I don't, know if you, I don't even know if I need the microphone. Um, so uh, my question is for two previously single people, now married, um, I think sometimes an issue I find, um, and uh, full disclosure, I'm a gospel community leader with another, with uh, Amy who's running uh, Sound Up there, um, another plug for that as well. Um, but what I've found in our group is that people couple off and then they're like, ah, oh, bye singles, because um, we tend to be a, a group of singles. How can you think of a way that maybe as a married couple or as a single person to really integrate married people into our lives and or because I think that's, that's a, there needs to be both of that. We, single people need us, married, we need married people. Instead of just thinking married people need married people and single people need single people. I guess, what are your, I guess, thoughts and or? Do you have any thoughts right away? Well, one thing that comes to mind is, um, so in the, we just moved up here, but we were in different home groups they call them home groups there at our old church, uh, but different small groups. And, um, you know, we, we would meet once a week, uh, but we would also do service projects. Um, and it may not seem like a, like a terribly <laughs> interesting. <laughs> interesting answer, but, um, you know, in my home group, uh, there were singles and um, marrieds. And so just doing things together like that. I know one time recently, I mean, we would we went to a soccer game, you know. I don't know how many people here really like soccer. In Dallas, football is kind of big, but for whatever reason, my home group actually liked soccer a lot. So, um, yeah. I think, too, there's a, one of the articles in that packet says, uh, I think it's called My Church Has an Amazing Singles Ministry. Um, that's because the village did not have a singles ministry. Um, and I found the singles ministry and integration with people, with married couples, happened um, within, the, within the confines of service. And so I would say, outside your gospel community, serve. You will meet lots of married people, lots of single people. Um, I think it's the best singles ministry that there, there is. But to your question specifically, um, I think this, the whole us and them sort of dichotomy that happens there is it's really harmful to the church. And it's harmful not just between singles and married. It's harmful between men and women. Um, it's harmful between parents and children. Um, it's harmful across the board. Paul always uses inclusive language in the New Testament when he's talking about uh, the New Testament church. So he says, in a time where it would have been shocking to call someone brother or sister, 
um, he uses very inclusive language. And so he doesn't, he doesn't actually draw more lines between demographics. He, he shuts the lines down. He closes them. Um, and so that there's more integration. And so I think it really is, it's a theological thing, first of all. So you're, you as the bride of Christ are experiencing just as much incompleteness as married folks are as the bride of Christ. Um, so that means it's, it's, there's got to be some like leadership on your part to integrate into their lives and say, hey, I get it. I get longing for something that hasn't yet happened. And then it's also just got to take humility and leadership on their part to bring you in. I think another thing too is this belief that like uh, you can't learn from a married person and a married person can't learn from you. Absolutely. You can learn from both. Um, so a lot of that stuff is just like stuff in our heads that just needs to be just obliterated. It's not true. It's not, it's, it's, they're mirages of division. Does that help? I think I'll add like just one more thing, like as a concrete example for, um, I think your question was specifically around, like, maybe within the group setting, like community group or gospel communities. But, um, so I was in a uh, men's marriage reconciliation deal. It was a small group. It would be, you know, five to 20 guys every week, right? Basically single guys, except mostly married. (laughs) Single because of sin. Um, and one thing we always encouraged each other to do was to serve. Like there was a parking ministry, you know, you, ministry might sound like a, um, like a, a glamorous term maybe added to the end of it. But, but really it, it was actually like sort of the first people that you saw when you drove up to the church. And so we'd say, Hey guys, like, cause it was also a pretty safe thing to put like guys who are going through a rough spot in, go out and park cars. Um, I mean, it's better than saying there was a lot more involved to go serve in the the kids' ministry and stuff. So, um, but finding ways to serve, uh, not just not just maybe as a group, but you know, as you yourself, like Lori just said, kind of take some leadership and um, volunteer in different areas that need it around the church. Uh, as the, do you need me? Oh, I thought you were looking at me. Sorry, I thought Jeff was looking at me. Um, as the director of communi- community information, I didn't come up with that title. I still don't really know what it means. But I will say this. Um, hey, if you're single, we need you in, in groups that are married home groups. Like, go to those places. Please go to those places. And if you lead a group of predominantly singles, please invite married into your home group. And the way to get them there, I'll tell you a little secret. The way to get married people to your predominantly single home group is to help with kids. So be a kid-friendly place. That's, a, that's just a really practical thing. Or like make it at a time of day when, when families with kids can come. Next question. Okay, so I have parents who have been married for 30 years, and my father leads my mother every day in Christ. Um, I believe that I'm waiting for my husband so that he can lead me. How do I lead myself as a single woman? Good question. That's a great question. Um, 
I don't know if she, oh, she, she asked as a single woman, how does she lead herself? She's not married to someone. And so how does she lead herself or submit to someone in leadership over her? Um, the local church is the most beautiful thing, I think, on earth. And I know there, are, I know that in a room of this size, there are some of you who have been profoundly hurt by the local church, perhaps even this local church. Um, the local church is God's plan to see redemption flood the church or flood the world through his son. Um, and so, so that on a broad way, on a really practical way, we're here for you. So your pastors and your elders are here for you. One of the best things I ever did in my singleness was press myself into the pastors and elders at the Village Church. Um, I, I don't know how it happened, but I found, to this day, such good leadership in those men. Um, they were involved in every part of my decision to come up here. They were involved in every part of the decision to, um, to date and subsequently marry Nate. Um, they were the people who were actually cheering the loudest for our quick dating to marriage <laughs> situation. Um, they're just men who loved me well. And, and I want to say this as a representative of the pastors and elders here. We love you well. We do. We don't know all of you. Come, come let us know you. The people in your gospel communities, they love you well. The leaders there, they love you well. It's kind of, if you think of that as like a small subset of pastors and elders, they're the people who are, who are in a sense kind of over you and leading you in this season. And so, so press yourself into those places. A lot of times as a leader, I find it difficult to go after every single person. But if someone comes to me aggressively and I feel like the Holy Spirit is, is giving permission for me to do this and, and blessing it, then I'm going to pursue that person back. And so I would say the same thing for leadership. Um, Biblically, the men who lead our church, the elders here, I'm submitted to them. So I'm submitted to Nate, but I'm also submitted to, to the leaders here. Um, so there were conversations even just today and yesterday um, about some things that I was like, I don't know what to do here, and spent some time with the newly minted elder, Gary, and, uh, and uh, some of the other elders, just kind of getting wisdom on some things. So I just want to say to you, the the very best thing you can do if you don't feel um, like you have leadership in your life is to, to aggressively pursue leadership. I want to add one thing. He's one um, of the best people I know to submit. He like, I know, he's like so frustrated at me right now. He, this guy submits. So women, that, not only for you, men, submit to the men in charge of you. The Bible says to, to honor those who keep watch over your souls. Go ahead, baby. Sorry. But that's exactly actually what I was going to say. So, and no, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Well, except for all the part about how great I am. But uh, I was going to add um, this idea of submission and um, and submitting to leaders is not it's it's not exclusive to women. Um, men, it, so it, it's a big uh, it's a big deal for men too. Um, and I would say, speaking personally, that that was one of the major sort of turning points in my, in my relationship with God was, was, um, actually agreeing to submit, um, first to God, really, 
like to God first, but then also to, um, in our local context, the church that I was under. Um, and that was actually a, it, it was a very, um, it, it was a life-changing uh, shift, if, if I could say that. Because up until then, I thought, I mean, I've got this. Uh, <laughs> I know exactly what I'm doing. Um, but learning how to submit and, and trusting that the elders of our church um, had my best interests at heart, that they were there to shepherd me, um, was a big deal. So I would encourage um, I would encourage the men in the room also to um, to not gloss over the idea of submission and to to really think about it and how that plays out in your life. Can you share about a couple of the places? Like I'm thinking specifically a couple places that you submitted that were really difficult. Um, can you share about them? Yeah, so... Like the year? The year-long That's time. a good... Yeah. <laughs> That's a good... So, um, so, like Lori said earlier, I was married for 11 years. Um, around 11 and a half years, actually. Around year 10, um, my uh, wife at the time um, and I really started going through, like basically just hit sort of this bottom, if you will, except the bottom kept getting deeper. Um, and I had no idea how to handle it. So I went to counseling. Um, I started going to this group. Actually, first I tried everything I could think of to, um, to figure it out and fix it on my own. I thought, you know, I've I'm a smart-ish guy, uh, got a good job, <laughs> should be able to figure this out. Um, and then uh, things just didn't get better. Uh, and so I began seeing a counselor who was on staff at our church, and um, he had lots of really helpful things to say to me. Uh, some of them were, were a little bit hard. And so I think where Lori was going, just to keep it brief, was, uh, was post-divorce, um, he asked me to remain single for a year. Uh, that was actually, actually kind of <laughs> it. He just sort of pulled something out of, of the air and, uh, and said, hey, I want you to be single for a year. I think it'd be good for you. I think it's wise. Um, and, and basically not rush back into a new marriage, um, not date. Uh, and so I would say the first six months of that was me sort of white-knuckling it. Um, uh, like Lori mentioned earlier, uh, it is hard. Um, it was particularly hard. Uh, I, I can really speak best to myself. Uh, from a certain point, from a certain age on, um, just this entitlement that I felt towards certain sexual, like, satisfaction, um, whether that was through masturbation or whether it was through sex uh, with a woman. Um, and, and I didn't wait until marriage for my first, uh, when I was married the first time. Um, so there was this long history of me just thinking, I deserve sex. Uh, this is just... I need it. I don't know how much. I don't know how much longer I can go without this. Um, but being in community where people uh, were encouraging um, and people exhorted one another, 
was very helpful. So that was uh, in a couple of places for me. But the first six months, I felt like I was white-knuckling it. And then after that, I realized I don't need sex to keep living. Like, <laughs> it just, I'm still alive. So, um, <laughs> I can, by God's grace, basically do this. Um, and so that's really what it was, was just a, a deepening awareness of God's grace to make it through things, um, including uh, being celibate for that time. Um, but yeah, my, one of my pastors slash counselors asked me to be single, not dating one for a year. And, um, and at that point in time, I had already reached the point where I was like, uh, my, my, my best game got me to this place and it kind of sucked. So, um, so I was willing to listen. Uh, I view that as the Lord disciplining me and breaking me. Um, and so I submitted to, to what they suggested so did that for a year I, I met him during that year and he was awkward and cold and qui- he's kind of quiet anyway but like he was like awkwardly quiet and I was like what's wrong with this guy like I'd heard so many great things about him um and it was because he was he was really just not pursuing even friendship with any girls um and so when I when I got to know him after that he was a completely different person to me but just, just to show you how honorable he was being in submission to something that was difficult. And, and so I would just encourage you guys in that as well. You're going to add something to it? Anyone else? She's coming. I think she's coming for you. She's coming for someone else. Since our sexuality is definitely connected to our humanity... Can you address how single people can express their sexuality? That's a doozy. <laughs> it's a great question, though. You good? You want me to hear it? Um, I'll say this. So primarily, you image God. And so that's, that's the primary way that we express anything. So anything good in us is of, is of God. It's an expression of God. Um, and so we are expressing um, the goodness of sexuality in terms of, like, intimacy. You can express intimacy with people in healthy, good ways. Um, you can express—so um, uh, I'm a huge, a huge proponent of good, healthy physical touch. I think within the local church, we have— um, we've, like, kind of adopted the side hug, the, like, or, like, the tent hug, like, we've just tried to hold people at arm's length because we don't want to experience good, healthy physical touch, or we're afraid of it, or we're afraid of ourselves in that, and so I would say we, we as the church need a good, like, I'm not, I'm not being a proponent of the oh, greet one another with a holy kiss, but I'm saying there's like an intimacy to that holy kiss, right? And I think we need to return to that, that intimacy of, of like good, healthy physical touch. Um, and, I, and I would say this, um, Wesley Hill wrote a book called Spiritual Friendship that is, I think, should be read by the church just on friendship and what that looks like. And so th- I would say that's how we express intrinsic sexuality outside of marriage. The act of sex is not just sexuality, if that makes sense. It's it's just a component of our sexuality. So outside of sex, there, there are a myriad of other ways. What would you say? 
I'll add one thing too. Uh, just something that I didn't do, haven't really done well for most of my life is um, uh, scripture says to treat a younger woman that you're not married to like a, like a younger sister, an older woman that you're not married to like a mother. Likewise, older men like fathers, younger men like brothers. Um, I, th- I do think that on some level, so again, for myself, but I think I've seen it with other men too, there is a fear, right? Uh, particularly in some areas of our church where it's just, I can't interact with her because what if we sleep together? Well, well, that escalated quickly. (laughs) (laughs) There's something in between, right? (laughs) But, but, but those scriptures have been really like encouraging to me. Uh, one of Lori's good friends and Lori and I had a, a conversation when we first started dating and it really opened my eyes to, um, to how I interact with women. Like I said, I haven't done it well. I mean, for, for a long time, there was, there, there really, like, it wasn't a godly, godly thing. Um, and so I want to encourage, like, both the men and the women, um, but particularly the men, because I, I think it helps when we lead in this area um, to just to, to remember that, that these women are our sisters. Um, and that's, I think, a helpful way to remember um, the relationship. I think another thing, I think John Piper might have talked about this at one point where he said, like, any any sort of, um, we'll use goodness, for example, any goodness that you feel is only a fraction of the goodness that exists in the completeness of God. And any, like, joy that you feel is only a fraction. Even the joy that you feel in something that's, like, wholly worshipful about God um, is still just a tiny, tiny fraction of the joy that is, like, possible. And so I would say the same about sexuality. Like, even like the greatest sex in the world is like such a minuscule, minuscule part of like God's beautiful design for all of human flourishing. And so I would say this carries back to what we talked about in that first session. Like, you're going to feel a sense of incompleteness, and that's not bad. That's a, that's, that's a good, holy longing for something that is so much better than anyone in any marriage um, has ever experienced. Oh, oh, I forgot. Lauren had a question, too. We need you guys to, like, all get in line. It would be good. Let's go here, and then we'll go to Lauren, and then we'll go to Michael. Um, I was wondering, why do women have to submit to their husbands if we're equal um, sex and... I know men are stronger physically, but, um, and if, since that's the case, then how does that look in your marriage? In, in, a, in your marriage. In our marriage? Mm-hmm. Okay. Or in marriage in general. Okay. It's a good question. Um, I'm, so what I'm going to, this is going to be one of those questions where I'm going to kind of defer to our pastors and elders and just what they've kind of, um, sort of the theology that we walk by, um, here. And so if you have, like deeper, if our, if our answer to that doesn't answer your question, um, I would really encourage you to set up a meeting with one of the pastors here, because this is a really hot topic. Like, this is a really, really difficult, difficult thing to talk about, Um, but I will say this. Um, Submission to God, 
which we've all done, correct? Like, if, if you're his child, you've submitted yourself to him, and you've actually seen that to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. And also, we see Christ in, um, in the book of Philippians say he didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we see Christ, Christ Jesus Christ, embracing the beauty of submission. And so just to set that up, that's, that submission is a beautiful thing. We live in a broken world that has really broken um, just the beauty of submission and what submission looks like. Um, I love the verse in just right before the passage we read tonight that says, submit yourselves to one another. And so you're right. There is like a mutual sort of submission that happens between men and women within the local church context. Um, But then right after that, if we're going to believe the whole scripture of God, right after that, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. So we have to trust that there's something good in that. Um, Because Christ submitted to his father, and we submit to Christ. So we have to trust that there's something good intrinsically about submission, even if the world has broken um, our idea. And I think there's probably a lot of you who grew up with a really broken idea of what submission looks like. And I want to tell you, like, that's wrong. It's wrong. It's not patriarchy. It is not, um, it's not this ugly idea of a man who, like, is whipping his wife into doing whatever he wants her to do. That's not, that's not submission. Um, and so if you have any, like, further questions, I'll let Nate talk about our marriage, but, um, if you have any, like, further questions about that, I would encourage you to, to set up a meeting with one of our pastors. Um, one thing I will, I'll back up a little bit, um, so in my previous marriage, I would say that I was extremely passive, um, actually I'll back like way up, we'll go to Genesis, (laughs) (laughs) um, so, I mean, m- m- most people are probably familiar, so hopefully I, won't, hopefully I won't bore you, but I think it's helpful. Um, when God created uh, man and then woman, um, he told Adam what they couldn't do. And then when Satan tempted Eve and Adam was standing right there, because that's what scripture says, she gave him the fruit, um, or whatever it was from the tree, uh, and pomegranate. because he was standing, yeah, pomegranate, because he was standing, he was standing right there with her. Um, so Adam said nothing uh, during the entire conversation that she had with Satan, um, and he didn't, he didn't say, "Don't do that." And God had given Adam the directive um, to lead there. Uh, when God uh, sought them out later. He addressed Adam first. Um, said, Adam, you know, what's going on? And then Adam basically blamed everyone except himself, right? Uh, and so Adam's passivity in that uh, was sinful, not, not just the sin of, of breaking the commandment that God had given him, uh, but his, his failure to lead um, in the role that God had put him in. Um, was sinful. Uh, and so in, in my previous marriage, uh, 
Uh, I just, I did a lot of passive things. I avoided, uh, I avoided hard conversations. Um, there was a theological disagreement between um, my ex-wife and I. Uh, we struggled, and, and after a while, I just said, okay, we're not going to address this anymore because I disliked com- confrontation. And so um, we struggled with having children, couldn't have kids. I just didn't bring it up um, because uh, it was a hard conversation. I didn't want to bring it up. Uh, I struggled with lust off and on in various forms in the marriage, um, and I never brought it up, confessed it to anyone. Uh, and so I, I, I mention all that to say, like, when 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 men are behaving as God has intended them to behave, to lead um, in that relationship, um, like there's flourishing that can happen. It doesn't always, right? Because there's two people in the marriage and mm-hmm. and two sinners. Um, but uh, where I'm going, like f- for our marriage, <laughs> I still battle with. Uh, avoiding conflict. I still battle with not wanting to address something that I think probably should be addressed. Uh, but I would say Lori's really good at encouraging me and then, um, and then saying, Hey, you make a decision. Uh, I trust that, that you love me. I trust that you have our best interests at heart. And, um, and she lets me know where she stands on things. Um, but, she also encourages me well there. And I, I kind of enjoy it in the sense that when there's like butting heads, um, which Genesis 3 describes, I think, um, like it's really tough. Um, so when two people are, I think, pursuing um, how God has designed our, our uh, relationships, well, I think there's better opportunity for flourishing. Yeah, that's good. Go, oh, Lauren was next, I think. Um, was there ever a time, Lori, in your like singleness where you felt like you could have settled, like you could have married somebody else, and? been happy because um, I know like in a culture with tinder and farmers only and match.com like there's a lot of options um, and then I find like also in this city it's really it's been like a lot easier for me to meet guys who aren't believers and like why should I not date somebody that isn't a believer yeah um, so I Nate was not the first time I was engaged. I was engaged um, two years ago. I was engaged. Um, I'd been pursued by this guy for three years, and I just kept telling him, no, 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 not interested, not interested, not interested, Uh, for various reasons. Um, I just didn't think we were headed in the same direction. I didn't think we lined up theologically. Um, I didn't think, I didn't, like, enjoy him, really. Like, he, like, all of our friends were like, he's so funny, and I was like, I just don't think he's funny. I like a really dry humor. Nate has like a really dry humor. He makes me laugh so hard and he never cracks a smile. And I'm like, that's funny. (laughs) Um, But this guy was like the life of the party. Anyway, just like pursued me hard. And after I I like had 
gone through a really rough season of singleness and, and just like hated my singleness and finally was like, okay, I'll go out with you. Um, and begrudgingly went out with him, begrudgingly, in a lot of ways, begrudgingly got engaged to him because I just kept thinking, no one else is going to pursue me. For whatever reason, no one's going to pursue me. And so I got engaged and it was if you've ever walked in disobedience and felt the weight of conviction, you know what I'm talking about. Like that pit in your stomach, I'm making a horrible decision, feeling day in, day out for months. Like I was waking up in the morning um, vomiting. Like it was just a horrible, horrible season of life until I finally just was like, I can't do this, which he wouldn't listen to me. And we ended up (laughs) tried to break up with him like seven times and it just wasn't happening. But he, he's a good man, and he's, and he's pursuing, and he's pursuing marriage with someone else. He's a good man. He just wasn't right for me, and it would, it would have been settling, and it, this is so cliche, and I hate that these words are going to come out of my mouth, but everyone says, when you know, you know. There never came a time with Nate that I was like, I know that I know. It was like, Paul Tripp says this, character is formed in 10,000 little moments. It's not formed in like a big moment. There was never any big moment with Nate. It was like 10,000 little things about him that were like, this guy's not perfect, but I, like, I want to walk beside this man, and I want to serve beside this man. He was running hard in our local church. He was serving the same kind of people that I wanted to serve. And so it was, it was the juxtaposition of those two relationships was so clear, and I want to implore with all of you, I want to beg you, please do not settle. And I'm not talking about settling for someone who's not the shape that you like or the kind of hair that you like or the, even the sense of humor. I know that's a really funny thing, but like, please don't settle for someone who's not pursuing the Lord wholeheartedly. Please don't do that. Your marriage will be, it will not only be difficult, it will, it will struggle to bring glory to God. We want marriages that bring glory to God. Please don't settle. As far as practically, delete those apps from your phone, guys. I'm serious. I'm, I'm so serious about this. Get rid of them. Get off Match.com. Get off eHarmony. Do you know how much time you guys spend on there, like crafting the perfect profile, finding the perfect picture? You could be spending that time talking face-to-face with real people, having real conversations. Delete that stuff. It's not... Sorry, I know that there are some success stories from it, but overwhelmingly, my heart for you guys is that you would, you would like intermarry here. Marry lots of people who are in this room. Seriously, marry one another. It's such a beautiful thing. You know? Marry your sisters. Yeah, marry. <laughs> you Sorry, did not hear sister. that at our church. <laughs> one of the. I just got all polygamous on <laughs> One of the, so a lot of people are like, you guys went on your first date and you got married three months from your first date, what? Um, Nate was so well known by the men in my church and I was so well known by the men and women in my church. Like it, every, without exception across the board, everyone was like, not just one thumbs up, two thumbs up, 10 fingers up, like, yes, we see this being a good union and we want that for you. I, I know I don't know all of y'all very well, but we want that for you. We want to be able to say yes. We want to be able to, to stand at your weddings and just rejoice. Delete those apps. Please delete those apps. 
I don't know anything about the abs. <laughs> I married a Luddite <laughs> who does IT. Sorry. It's no awesome. Comments. We, um, in preparation for tonight, Nate, uh, Nate is like a voracious, I'm, I'm a writer, but Nate's like such a faithful writer. I'm like, uh, if I feel like it, I'll write. Um, but I get paid for it, so I don't know how that works. He, like, has journals from years and years and years, and so he was reading some of his journals the other night, and one, in one of the last pages of one of his journals, he had a list of four things that he wanted to find in his next wife. Um, and I just, like, I'm, like, curled up to him crying while he's reading those four things because um, he valued something that was... Uh, it was not even what I valued in myself. Like, I thought, I have to be prettier, I have to be taller, I have to be skinnier, I have to be this, I have to be that. And he's like, no, I want someone who loves our church and who loves the Lord. Um, and I hope you got that. Yeah. I'm still five foot, but not, not much taller. Next question. Michael, I think I had a question. I'm a little scared to ask this question. We'll see how it goes. Um, the so, can you talk about like I mean, because you I mean, you've worked on staff at a couple of churches. Like, can you just like talk about what, like uh, just be honest. Like, dating in 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 a like local church is can be awkward and weird. Like, there's just a weird deal about. I'll just be honest. Like, that's kind of I feel like I get a lot of perceptions about that. And just because you, you talked about how like the village was kind of a tough place to date people, I feel like that can be kind of a lot of churches. And so can you talk about, like, maybe, like, kind of maybe why you think that is? And then what's the ideal? Like, you know, how can we foster kind of a, a healthy dating place where it's not, I mean, obviously we're not going to hit ideal, but what is the ideal? Because I think, I don't know if we even have a great picture of that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> can I stab at this? I'm going to take a stab at this. Um, I don't think we have this book on the bookshelves, but there's a book by Barry Danilek called Redeeming Singleness. And in the book, it's kind of like a heady book, but I do recommend it if you like that kind of thing. Um, In it, he talks about how in the Old Testament, the design for family is through um, actual physical family, like birthing a child, and you be fruitful and multiply in that way. But in the New Testament, the design for family is actually the local church. And so in the Old Testament, they had arranged marriages, arranged by families, in the New Testament, you guessed it, the local church is the family that should be helping people get married. And so I would say um, one of the reasons that, that singles sometimes have a hard time in the church is because married people aren't necessarily helping them get from A to B. Um, it's kind of like segregated off to here and not here. So I think that's something that you guys can't really do anything about that. That's something that needs to happen with married folks. Um, although you can help. I've set up a couple of my friends who've gotten married. It's kind of awesome. It's kind of fun. Help your friends get married. It's exciting. It's a good thing. You might not want to marry that guy, but your friend might. <laughs> I'm serious. So every statistics say that most of the people in this room are going to get married someday. That's what statistics say. Statistics also say that people are staying single longer and longer. So statistically, you're going to stay single until you're like 35, and then you'll probably get married. Um, but so most of you are going to be someone's spouse. And there are probably some of you in here who have been profoundly hurt by someone else in here. Maybe you've dated and gone out with one another and it hasn't ended well. And so I want to say to you, like, that person is not your enemy. 
that person is someone else's spouse. So treat them like they're someone else's spouse. And I think that's, that's another way that, that singles can help one another within the church. Uh, I think that's the ideal. I don't know that's necessarily happening. I also say that singles ought to be in church leadership. Uh, one of the coolest things was when I got an email from Brian in January or February, and he was like, uh, are you interested in working at Park Church? I was like, I don't even know what Park Church is, but you want a single female to come on staff at your church in a ministerial position? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it took a little bit longer to make a decision, but um, so, so I'll say this. A lot of times we think working at a church is for the married people. It's not. It's for you guys too. So aspire to the qualifications of an elder, not to be an elder, but to be a godly man or woman. Um, Hopefully this will uh, address part of your question. But um, So at the end of a year of, of, of singleness for me after my, after my divorce, um, uh, one, of, one of my pastors said, hey, <laughs> uh, I've got someone for you. Um, you <laughs> a friend of mine. And I was like, sure. So it was a blind date, right? Um, which was super awkward hadn't dated in like 12 years and it was a blind date <laughs> and I, the first date was just ridiculously awkward I think actually I told Lori this uh when I first so I was at the restaurant first and she showed up sorry. This, is a, this was a lady that was on staff at our old church actually so like so, someone I was going to see every Sunday right or Saturday night whatever she's great yeah she's a great girl well so if, we go out, uh, I pick the restaurant, she shows up. I wasn't even actually sure if I was gonna recognize her. Um, I mean, it was that kind of blind date. I just, I'd never actually talked to her. Um, so she walks in, she wasn't wearing glasses like she normally does. Um, and so we start, we sit down and I, I'm pretty sure I just stared at her for like 30 seconds, you know? <laughs> like it was just, so after 30 seconds, she's like, she says, uh, so, tell me about yourself. <laughs> I mean, like, it was, it was really awkward for me, right? And, but she graciously agreed to another date, and so then we went out again. Um, and that one was good, and then the third one wasn't that, I mean, it just was sort of, it was difficult. Um, but I would say, uh, I, I want to encourage, if, if you're walking in a way that honors the other person, right? So man or woman here, right? If you're walking in a way that honors the other person, like a brother or a sister, um, you know, because you're not married yet, uh, then there, there shouldn't, I'll put some scare quotes up here, right? There shouldn't be awkwardness if you decide not to continue. Um, it still might be a little bit awkward. When, so so this, other, uh, this other girl who's, who was really sweet said, you know, basically she just, she just didn't see it. I'm paraphrasing here, right? But she, she said it, and she also said, but hey, you know what? I really appreciated this about you, right? So, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was helpful for me. It still, it still kind of hurt for a little bit, right? Um, but I, I think the main thing I wanted to, to just share real quick was if we are honoring one another, right, and we're not, um, we're not sort of looking for quick satisfaction in some areas maybe, um, and we're being, you know, well, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, then I think 
if one of the other persons decides not to continue dating, you know, within the local church, we talked about this a lot with just, just within our group of friends. Um, and we've had friends who, I mean, like, it is a little awkward, right? After someone says, I'm just, I'm not going to, I don't want to date you anymore for whatever reason. Um, but it really, sh- it really shouldn't be if you are honoring that other person. So I'll be quiet. You don't have to be quiet. That's good. Yeah. Does that help answer? Do you need clarification? No? We're good? All right. We're going to close in prayer. And um, yeah, if any of you guys have any questions um, for me afterwards, I'll be around for a little while. You can ask me or Nate. Um, and we're here. We live here now, so you can come find us anytime. Um, hey, I love you guys. I don't know you guys, but as someone here on staff, like, I, I love you, and I'm for you, and I want to see you guys flourish in the local church. And if there's anything I can do, if I can advocate for you as a single here at Park Church, I want to do that. Um, I know that it's a little bit weird that I'm married now and not single, but I get it. I understand, and so I want to I want to be in that, in the trenches with you guys as much as I possibly can. Um, and so I'm going to have Nate press out. Is that good? Okay. Father, thank you for this evening. Um, thank you for all the people in the room um, that you brought here. Uh, if there was anything that we said that um, wasn't from your word, that didn't hold true to your word, then please just uh, take that out of the ears. But um, if there was truth from your word that that was said tonight and people here need to hear it, then Father, I ask that you would give them ears to hear um, and eyes to see uh, how how to honor you and how to honor one another as they are walking through uh, this season of their life single. Remind us that one day when we are struggling, Lord, comfort us that that one day we will be with you. So thank you for uh, your church. Thank you for your word and for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.